Good morning. All right. How's everyone doing this morning? Yeah, it's good to see everyone. It's good to be back. You know, I spent the last 14 days in uh, Israel, and uh, what, a, what a great time we had. It's good to be back, though. Um, I'm wearing black, and he played Back in Black by ACDC, so that was very appropriate music. Good job, guys. <laughs> back there, you never know. So I, uh, while I was there, um, you know, it's funny. On the news, they always talk about, like, the Holy Land is the most dangerous place on earth, and you don't want to go there because you're going to die, and terrorists are going to blow you up. And I want you to know something. Um, I spent a whole week in the West Bank in the Palestinian Authority living among the Palestinian people. I walked the streets by myself alone at night, and the Palestinian people are lovely people. They're wonderful people. The only time I almost died is when I drove with one of them. I just want you to know that. <laughs> I experienced something I like to call the Fast and Furious Bethlehem Drift, okay? Uh, I'm with this dude. Um, we had some people, uh, someone who got sick, who um, ha- ended up having to spend the night in the hospital, um, couple, two nights in the hospital. And um, when I was, I didn't have a car, I didn't have to get there. So, um, and my hotel was in the Palestinian Authority. So I asked the hotel owner, can you give me a ride? And he says, yeah, yeah, I got a guy, I'll give you a ride. So all of a sudden he pulls up and he's got, it's a pretty awesome car actually. It was like a like an early 80s Volkswagen Golf, but it was all raced out, like racing wheels and pipes, and you know, super like loud. And, you know, he had all the door handles off. It was, you know, it was like the General Lee from, um, but Palestinian style in in German. And um, so I, you know, I, I I get in the car and we're driving and like we're going down these like cobblestone alleys and he's going like 60 miles an hour and there's like people walking in him. And I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is scary. And when I get scared, I have a nervous laugh. So I kind of grab the handle, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> he goes, oh, you like? I'm like, <laughs> and he goes, what? what? He just keeps going. Now he's drifting around corners in these narrow alleys. And I'm like, ah! you know, freaking out. And we're pulling up to the hotel and it's a long straightaway. And I'm like, oh no. He goes, oh yes. What? He just hits it and he's gone. And there's a corner here and the hotel's here. And he hits the corner and just literally oh, drifts right to the door. And he goes, thank you. Like stopped it right in front of the door of the hotel. And I got out and I was just a new shade of white. Um, I was scared to death. So I'm gonna let you know the Holy Land is actually a Fairly safe place. Palestinian people are lovely people. They just are not good drivers. Actually, they're very good drivers. They scared me to death, though. So anyways, saw some amazing things while I was there. Um, you know, one of the, the cool, cool things we were able to do, um, the, we had an archaeologist that actually led our tour, and um, he is also a retired general of intelligence in the Israeli army. So um, we worked for him, basically. He told us what to do, and you will go here, you will do this. He was crazy. And uh, we got off the freeway one day, and he took us to this place. It was called a Gilgal, which is an encampment of the Israelite army. And about a mile away was where the, um, Phil- was a Philistine village. And what they had found was where the Israelites had camped in 1 Samuel chapter 5. Um, there's a priest named Eli, and he had two sons, Phineas and Hophnius. Not to be mistaken for Phineas and Ferb, but Phineas and Hophni. And um, they uh, camped there. They brought the Ark of the Covenant. They brought the army of God, and they went to attack the Philistines. And because they didn't obey God, they lost the Ark of the Covenant. 
So he took us to the place where they camped, where the ark would have sat, um, and we're standing around, he's showing us all the excavation that was being done, and then I looked over, and there's these big grain silos, they're holes in the ground, and he had taught us that's how they would store their food, is in the ground, they'd put these big clay pots in the ground, and the grain would sit in it. I said, those are grain silos, huh? And he's like, yeah, and I'm like, there's like broken pottery pieces in there, that's from the grain silo? And he's like, yeah, and I'm like, um, can I have a couple of those? He goes, you know that's illegal. And I said, can I have a couple of those? <laughs> He's like, yeah, why not? So I hold in my hand a 3,500-year-old piece of history from the Bible. I want you to think about that for a second. This is not a book of fairy tales. This stuff happened. And archaeology continues to uncover the things that God did in history. And it is a cool thing. One other thing I'll just show you a picture of we ended up, um, you know, the way, the way Jerusalem works is that city's been built and destroyed, you know, 10 or 15 times in history. So every time they destroy it, it's just rubble, and then they build a new city on top of it. And that's how they do archaeology. They can tell what era it is from the rubble, right? So if where you walk today is not the actual streets where Jesus walked, it's a good 25 feet under would have been the time of Jesus. So our archaeologists took us to a place called the Praetorium that's under the city of Jerusalem that's been preserved. And it, um, I think we have a picture. Where he stands is actually the place where Jesus was whipped and scourged. And they know it for a fact. They know because of the layout of the city, there's two holes in the ground where the posts would have been where he, he, he was tied to while they whipped him. And then a good 10, 15 feet over, you can't see it, there's a carving in the ground and it's um, a game that the Roman soldiers would play when they were bored. And it's the very place where the Bible says that G they cast lots for Jesus' clothes, that the Roman soldiers would gamble for the clothes of the people they were about to crucify. It was where Jesus' clothes were cast lots for. This is a real thing that happened. God is real. And um, it's, it's, it's such a neat thing. And we're gonna start a new series today called My 316, and we're gonna read from God's word um, and I would love it if you're able to right now, if you're, if you're able to, if you would stand in honor of God's word so we can read from his word. I'm gonna read to you today from John chapter three, starting in verse 14 to 18. And um, this is Jesus speaking. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is God's word. You may be seated. So I want to give you a little background to this um, passage I just read so that um, before we get into the outline, and you need to understand what's going on. In John chapter three, Jesus has um, come into Jerusalem and there's a guy named Nicodemus and um, the Bible refers to him as Israel's teacher. So he would have been like one of the main religious figures in Israel at that time. He was an expert on the Bible. He was an expert in religion. He was an expert in all of that. And he comes to Jesus, and it says distinctly that he came to Jesus at night. He came at night because he didn't want anyone to know. He was supposed to be the expert. 
on faith. But all of a sudden, this, this guy from Galilee, um, and he, he's coming in Jerusalem, he's teaching in the temple courts, and he has this strange authority that no one's ever seen before. And if you don't know, what, what, what Galilee in the ancient world was kind of like, uh, you know, Redneckville. It was kind of like the sticks. And anyone who came from Galilee was like, ding, 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 hurry, y'all. You know, and um, they, they, were, they were supposed to be uneducated. And, you know, could anything good really come from Nazareth of Galilee? I mean, come on. That's a, that was kind of the thought. And here comes this guy from Galilee. And he has this strange authority to him when he speaks about God. And Nicodemus is supposed to be the, the authority. So he goes to Jesus at night. You know, it kind of reminds me of when I um, first saw Luis Palau preach. You know, Luis Palau is coming to Fresno on uh, April 1st and 2nd, I believe, for Fresno City Fest. And I encourage you all to go and bring your friends that don't know God. Because Luis Palau is anointed. He's, I mean, Jesus is a whole nother level. Let's be honest. He's the son of God. But sometimes, um, I remember the first time I heard Luis Palau, um, people had told me, oh, this is the guy Billy Graham kind of told him, Billy Graham went to South America to preach a crusade, and he would be like, and God loves you, and Luis Paul would be like, Dios, you know, he'd speak for like 10 minutes after Billy Graham just said a phrase, right? That was how he was translating it. And then after it was over, Billy Graham grabbed him and said, Luis, you were the one preaching, weren't you? And he was like, yes, sorry. And he said, well, I don't think I need to come to South America ever again because I think you're God's man for this continent. And he um, taught him every, how to do everything he, he does. And Luis Palau now has preached the gospel to millions upon millions of people. And uh, now that Billy Graham is um, not preaching anymore, you know, Luis began doing stuff in North America. And I remember the first time I heard him, I was like, this is it? Because it was just very simple and da-da-da. You know, and it wasn't super entertaining or compelling or fiery. And he got up and he spoke, and then he said, so if you'd like to receive Jesus, come forward. And all of a sudden, thousands of people came forward. And see, what I realized is Luis had an evangelistic gift from God. It was an anointing from God. It was very special. And see, Nicodemus recognized Jesus was different than everyone else. So he comes to him, and he begins to ask him, you know, we know you're from God, but tell us about what you're teaching. And Jesus goes on to tell Nicodemus, he says, listen, um, if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to know the kingdom of God, you want to experience the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus was like, born again, what does that mean? I'm going to crawl back up in my mom's womb? That's creepy. And, and Nicodemus, um, Jesus ends up saying, listen, if you want to experience God, you want to know God, you have to be born again of the water, right? Baptism and of the spirit, that, that God's spirit has to be, be in you. And um, he has this conversation with Nicodemus, and then it leads us to verse 16, which is probably the most famous verse in the Bible that we're going to get to. So if you have your outline, go ahead and pull it out. And I want you to understand this about, about God and, and, and what his word says. See, God, number one, is God made you to love you. See, sometimes we think like God made us to serve him right? Like God was in heaven going, oh, I'm so lonely. I need to make some people so they'll serve me, right? I, I, I need more servants. God doesn't need us. He made us so he could love us. How many of you had children so they could serve your every need? <laughs> you were wrong, right? 
That's not how it works. It just doesn't end up working that way. But this, this is the thing. God made you so he could love you. Look what it says in his word, verse 316. It says, for God so loved the world, the whole world, everyone in the world. Underline that, world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. God loves the world and he gave Jesus because he understood that you and I were separated from God. You know, um, we live in a world where we love to kind of hide our flaws and, and um, you know, social media has, got, has really taught us to be really good at hiding our flaws and we put filters on our camera and we smile when we're not happy and we put things up to make our life seem more successful than it really is. And, the, you know, and, and the truth of the matter is that we all have all kinds of flaws. We're all broken. We're all sinful, including me. We, we're all like the Bible says, clay pots, but there's cracks in them everywhere. And we're really good at smoothing them over and pretending they're not there. But the truth of the matter is, is there's cracks in you. And it's sin. It separates us from God. So look at your neighbor right now and say, you're a crackpot. <laughs> See, and God made you to love you, but because of our sin, it separated us from him. And he loved you so much, he sent Jesus so you could be reconnected and have a relationship with him. So that leads me to point number two. Here's the deal. God's love, though, it's infinite. And he wants you to share it. See, interesting thing, um, I remember when um, we had our first kid, you know, when I had my first child, my, my son Corbin, and let's be honest, I didn't really have my kid. My wife Kelly had the kid. I just got to do the fun part. And um, she did the suffering. But, but here's the deal. Um, I remember this little guy came out and I was just so enamored with him and so in love with him. And I remember when um, she got pregnant with our second child, I was really worried I was like, I love this little boy so much. Like, I don't know if there's gonna be enough love for the next kid. They're kind of gonna get neglected. But here's what happened. See, love isn't a commodity that you run out of. It actually is exponential. So when she was born, all of a sudden, I loved her just as much, but differently. It's like I had this much love, and then all of a sudden, it grew to this much. It was amazing, and that's how love is. It's exponential. And then my third kid came along, and I love him almost as much as the other two. But no, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. It grew exactly again, and it's exponential. And this is how God's love is for his people. When he made the first people, he loved them infinitely. And every person that's been born since, his love has continued to grow. He gets more and more, and it's infinite. And God infinitely loves you, he doesn't love other people more than he loves you. You know, I was in the Palestinian Authority for a week, and those people suffer horribly. And sometimes they think, like, as Christians, that we think God loves the Israelis more than them. But the truth of the matter is that God loves everyone, and his love is infinite. And he loves people differently because he's made all of us differently. I love what it says in Mark 16. It would have been really easy for me right now to quote Matthew 28, 18 through 20, but Jesus says it a different way in Mark 16, 15, and he says this. He says, go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Underline that word preach for a minute because I wanna talk to you about preaching. Now, the word preach literally in the New Testament 
um, isn't the word preach, to be honest. We use that word for some reason, translators do. And when you think of the word preach, you think of a preacher. You think of someone like me that gets up and proclaims in front of lots of people, and maybe he's kind of a monkey boy, and he entertains you a little bit, and he gives you a little theology, and he gives you the gospel, and, and um, you grade it. Oh, that was a C, a B, an A, whatever it is, or an F, and then you go home. But here's what I want you to understand. What Jesus was talking about what the gospel writers were talking about, what the writers of the Bible were talking about whenever they used the word preach was not preaching like this that you're experiencing right now. It meant to tell. The word literally means to proclaim. So if you're in a one-on-one conversation and you tell someone about the gospel, you just proclaimed. If you tell someone that God loves them, that Jesus died for them, you've just preached. It's not getting on a soapbox and yelling or talking or speaking to large amounts of people. Really what Jesus was saying is tell the good news to all creation. Just tell it. Is really what he was trying to do. And if his love is infinite, he's asked us to share it everywhere. So that leads me to number three is this, is guys, God saved you for a mission. He saved you for a mission. You ever, you ever thought about it? Like if God just, Jesus just came to die on the cross so that you could go to heaven? If that was the soul, if that was it, how come whenever someone accepts Christ, they don't just die on the spot? If that was really the whole purpose was just to go to heaven, that would make for interesting church services though, huh? Like raise your hand if you believe in Jesus. I do. It would affect attendance a lot too. That'd be terrible. But listen, I'm not going to church. People die there. You know, um, The truth of the matter is, though, he saved you and left you on this planet for a mission. When I, um, when I, we, my wife and I first got married, we lived in this little house, this little townhouse in Oceanside, not much of a yard, and um, we knew we didn't want to have kids right away, so we said, let's get a dog. We'll screw the dog up before, you know, parenting the dog before we mess up the kids. Uh, We still mess up our kids, but that's a whole nother picture. Um, So we got this dog, and for some reason, I don't know why, we had a, we both worked full time. We're in this little house. We got this dog that was like a hunting dog, and he's a German short-haired pointer, and he was a spaz. And every day, we'd lock him in this little cage in the garage and we would go off to work and I'd come home and he'd be like "Ah!" just freaking out like oh my god just my owner I love you 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 do you love me I love you I love you and he'd pee himself because he was so excited to see us you know and then we let him out of the cage and he'd spin in circles and pee himself again because he just had so much energy because a dog like that was not designed to be in a cage all day so then I would, I would grab the leash and go, Bodie, you want to go for a walk? And he'd go, ah! and he'd pee himself again, and he'd fall over, and he'd freak out. I'd put him on the leash, and he'd drag me out, and we had this field behind us. And I'd let him off the leash, and boom, he would go. And he would run, and he would, you know, if there were squirrels out in the field, he would find them, and he would get them in a tree and point at them and howl. He'd, you know, do what dogs do. He'd be like, oh, a dead animal. This smells terrible. I'm going to roll in it. It's awesome, you know. He'd do that. He'd, you know, just run and run and hunt and howl and point. And after about 30 minutes, about 45 minutes, I'd be like, Bodie, come here. And he'd just come walking back like, yeah. Content. See, because he was designed to do that. See, here's the truth of the matter. God saved you for a mission. Every one of us in this room have a unique story that's different from the other person. We have unique gifts and talents that are different from the other person. And God saved you so that your story and your gifts and talents could be shared with the world to bring the good news to the world. 
And when we all do it together, it's a powerful thing. See, every one of us is uniquely gifted, but here's the truth of the matter. God's also given you the freedom to whether you wanna enter into his mission or not. Many of you, you feel like that dog in a cage because you've never been able to use your God-given gifts. And I'm not saying you need to get a new job or you need to get a, you know, a new career or anything like that because God can use your gifts doing anything. Whether you're, you, know, you have a career that you love or you have a career that you hate. God has a different mission than just your job. And his mission is that the world would know who he was so that they could have a relationship with him again. And God wants to use your gifts. But you can choose not to and be like, no, I'm good, I'm, I'm saved, I'm good. And you'll be like the dog in the cage, and that's fine. But to be fully alive, you could use the gifts that God's given you. Look what it says in Romans 10 about telling people the good news. It says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how then can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching it to them or, right, proclaiming it or telling them? Verse 15. And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. See, the truth of the matter is, at some point, You can love people a ton, but at some point you also have to tell them about who Jesus is. And um, I I want you to understand something. Uh, It it doesn't have to be awkward. Sometimes people think like sharing their faith is just gonna be this awkward moment. And it might be. Sometimes you just step into awkward moments. I mean, how many of you were in an awkward moment this week? I'm sure some of us were. My life is an awkward moment. I love it. But anyways, listen. Here's what I want you to know. Um, I don't have point four in your outline on the thing because I was in Israel and give me a break, okay? But I actually made a fourth point um, on the plane ride home and and it's this, guys. It happens naturally. If you are in a relationship with Jesus and you're in an everyday relationship with Jesus, it'll happen naturally. If you ask God for the opportunities and you're looking for the opportunities, you will have the opportunity to share God's love and Share that good news, right? The John 3, 16. One of the things that I want for us to do during this series is maybe memorize John 3, 16, the, the, the passage, or the verse, John 3, 16. And I'm gonna let you off the hook. You don't even have to memorize it verbatim. Some of you are like, oh, I have to memorize it verbatim or I'll go to hell. No, you don't. No, you're changing God's word. I want you to understand something. Guys, Jesus spoke John 3, 16 in Aramaic. It was translated into Greek and now translated into English. There's 86 English translations of the Bible. They all worded a little different. It's okay if you do too. You're not gonna go to hell if you word it differently. But basically, it just says that God loved the world, that he sent his son, and whoever believes will not perish and have eternal life. If you can get that memorized, you have the gospel that you could share with anyone. It's that easy and it's that simple. But it'll happen naturally. See, it always starts with a conversation. You know, um, when I was in uh, the West Bank, um, I got home really late one night from the hospital, and uh, there was a guy at the front desk, it's like three in the morning, and he could tell I got a ride home with Fast and Furious Jerusalem Drift. (laughs) So I was a little amped up, you know, and uh, he's like, come on in, man, and uh, have some tea, and we sat down. His name was his name was Jerry. I don't know what his real name is. He just said, call me Jerry. You won't be able to pronounce my real name. So I was like, cool. So we're sitting and talking, and he made me some tea. And pretty soon, I noticed he had this 
cross tattooed on his hand with like a rosary up his arm. And he was a Palestinian. And I knew like, that's like dangerous to have on you. I said, dude, I love your tattoo. That's pretty gutsy. He goes, yeah, you know, I had it done when I was 18. And I go, so you're a Christian? And he goes, yeah. And then I began to talk to him about his faith. And what I realized right away is that he wasn't a Christian. He didn't know Jesus whatsoever. He didn't even believe in Jesus. He had just been born into a Christian family. So that was his identity. And see, there's a lot of people like that. And here's what I want you to know. You don't get into heaven because grandma was a good Christian. You get into heaven because of Jesus and your belief, your personal belief in Jesus. And, and so we started talking about his faith and what he believed. And he's like, well, I don't really know fully about God and Islam and the Bible and Jesus. He goes, but what I do believe is there is a God and it's part of the collective universe and, and all the universe that is subconscious is somehow connected to him. And, and here's what I did. I looked him in the eye and said, you're wrong, sucker. No, I didn't do that. I'm kidding. I hit him with a Bible. No, I didn't do that either. I didn't even use the Bible. I just listened. I go, oh, wow. Well, how'd you come to that? And he began to tell me and I just listened. And then pretty soon, just like it does anywhere in that part of the world, our conversation went from spiritual to political. And I didn't bring it up, he did. And he began to ask me, you know, he goes, you know, you're one of the only Americans I've ever met in the Palestinian Authority. He goes, they don't, Americans don't come here. We get Christians from all over the world that come to Bethlehem, but Americans never stay here. They just drive in and leave. They're afraid of us. What do you think about what's going on between the Israelis and the Jews? I could tell he was very angry. And I've learned, sometimes you just need, people just need to feel heard and then they'll hear you. And I said, you know what, Jerry, it doesn't matter what I think because I don't know any better. Um, you're the one that lives here and I see how you guys live and you're suffering. Tell me what you think. And he began to share what he felt and the things he goes through and you could tell he was very emotional. It was a very sore subject and I just listened. And then before you knew it, our conversation went right back to the spiritual. And I said, you know what, Jerry? Um, you know how you talked about you, you think God is this collective consciousness in, in the whole universe and it's all pointing to him? I said, you know, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, which is just really like three miles from you and me right now. He, when he rode in Jerusalem on a donkey, all the people started worshiping him. They started saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the religious people who ruin everything, they came running out and they said, tell these people to stop worshiping you. You know what Jesus said, Jerry? He said, I tell you the truth, if they stop, the stones will cry out. Did you know Jesus said that, that all creation, the whole universe is pointing to him, is what he said? And he was like, oh. I go, it's, it's, it's a lot like what you think. I go, you know, it says in, in, in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul, he he said that all creation, the whole cosmos, is groaning, like, like in childbirth, to be redeemed. I go, you know that collective consciousness in the universe, it's not the way it's supposed to be, is it? We don't know what it's supposed to look like, but we know the world we live in isn't right. It's not how it's supposed to be. He's like, yeah. I go, that's what the, the Bible says, is that because of our sin, it separated us from God. And Jesus is the one that came to reconnect us back together. And our conversation changed and it moved on and that was it. Sometimes though, it's not your job to close the deal. 
It's just to tell. You have no idea what God is doing in that person's life, who else they're talking to, what they lay in bed at night and stare at the ceiling and think about, what God has put on their heart. It's not your job to convince anyone to become a Christian. It's God's job. If God is the God of the universe, I think he could do that on his own. He doesn't need you and your brilliance. He just needs you to tell, right? Right? So, so here's the deal. I'm on the airplane on the way back, and I'm sitting next to this Israeli woman, and um, she's actually fight, she's in the Israeli army. She's a medic. She's been in for 10 years, and she had the complete opposite view of Jerry. And the other thing that I learned about um, Israeli people that are in the army is they have no sense of personal space whatsoever. She's like right here the whole time, sleeping on me on the plane, elbows out, whole deal. I'm like, oh, you know, so, but we start having this conversation. I said, oh, what's your name? She goes, oh, my name is Zohar. And I said, oh, you're a child of the light. She goes, huh? And I go, yeah, Zohar, it, mean, it means light. You have light in you. And she goes, oh, you speak Hebrew. And I said, no, nah, not really, but I know enough to be dangerous. <laughs> and we began to talk about God and how she had been born Jewish, but she had never explored the faith until recently. And then she had all kinds of misconceptions about Christians. And she was like, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And she goes, what's that? And I go, it's like a priest, but I, I, I'm married. And she goes, what? I was like, like a rabbi. She goes, oh, okay, I, I, I get that. And we began to talk, and, and she had all kinds of misconceptions about Christianity. I said, well, you know, you have a lot of misconceptions about it. That's not really what Christianity believes. She goes, well, it's just from the Christians I know. And I go, well, it sounds like a lot of the Christians you know were Jewish like you were. And she was like, what do you mean? I said, well, you were ethnically Jewish, but you never explored the faith until you're an adult, until recently, right? And the Bible even says, not all Israel is Israel. And she was like, yeah, that's totally it. I go, probably the same with you. A lot of your friends were born Christian, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. And she goes, what do you mean by a relationship? And I began to explain about mine. And then the conversation turned political she had the completely opposite view of my friend Jerry, and I just listened. And then I just said to her, I go, I want you to know something. I know you, you think that everyone in the world hates Israel. And you're right, a lot of people do hate Israel, but I want you to know this. You are one of God's chosen people, and that's probably part of the reason why they hate you. I go, but I want you also to know, there's three billion Christians in the world, and a majority of Christians love the Jews. We love you. As a matter of fact, you're our roots, you're our heritage. It says in the book of Romans that actually you guys are the olive tree and we're just a wild branch grafted in. You're our roots. And we have a deep admiration for you. And then the conversation ended with that. You have no idea what God is doing. It's your job just to tell and tell what you know. Um, the good news is you may not know much and you might say the wrong thing, but here's the good news. God will take whatever you say and he'll use it. The Holy Spirit will translate it however it needs to be. And then the other thing is this. Sometimes you just need to introduce people. The woman, there's a woman in John, in, in um, the book of John, and she's a Samaritan woman, and Jesus is going through Samarita, Samaria with his, his disciples, and um, the Jews and the Samaritans hate each other. There's a deep-seated racism that to this day is still going on. And they're in Samaria. They don't like going through Samaria, but for some reason, Jesus said, we need to travel that way through Samaria. They, all the disciples say, we're gonna go into town and get some food. Jesus says, I'll hang out here. Jesus goes and he sees a woman hanging out at the well. And there's this woman at, at a well in the afternoon by herself. 
which is, you know, you have to understand culturally what's going on here. In the ancient world, in the Middle Eastern world, women didn't travel to the well by themselves. It's just like in 21st century Western world, women don't travel to the bathrooms by themselves, <laughs> right? Well, back then, they went early in the morning to the well because it was hot. They would gather all the water they need for the day and they would bring it back. And they always traveled together because it was safer and they had a social network and they didn't get to get out of the house a lot, so that was their time. So if you saw a woman by herself in the afternoon, it was because she didn't have any girlfriends, probably because girl got around and she had a bad reputation. And Jesus walks up to her and begins to talk to her and she's shocked that a Jewish man is talking to her because Jewish men don't talk to Samaritans at all, and Jewish men don't talk to women unless it's their wife. And then she realizes that Jesus is a rabbi, and now she's really freaking out. Like, why are you talking to me? And Jesus says something to her. He says, listen, you have water there that if you drink it, you keep getting thirsty. He goes, but I have water. If you drink it, you'll never thirst again. Living water. She says, give me some of that. I want it. Then I won't have to come back to the well. And he goes, no, you don't get it. And he begins to tell her everything about who she is. Stuff, you know, the cracks in the pot that we all have that we hide really well, he exposes them all in a, this kind, gentle, graceful way. And all of a sudden, she comes to faith in him and she comes to believe that he's God's son, the Messiah. And she doesn't know anything else about him. She doesn't know anything, a lot, much about the Bible. She was probably illiterate. She didn't have a Bible. They didn't have Bibles back then. They had scrolls and only rabbis had them. You know what she did, though? She went right back to her town, and she says, you gotta come meet this dude. That's all she knew. I met a guy, he knew me inside and out. He saw all my cracks, and he still loved me. I think I found the Messiah. You gotta come meet this guy. Sometimes that's just our job, is to introduce people to Jesus and let Jesus do the work. That's one of the reasons we're, we're so involved in the Luis Palau Festival, is you can invite a friend and just say, hey, come, come here, Luis Palau. I heard he's spoken to millions of people. He's supposed to be this famous famous guy. Um, it's not a concert for Christians, okay? So when you go, like, don't be the person that, like, oh, I gotta get in front, here, Lecrae, get my groove on. It's not for you, dummy. Let other people get in front of you. When you're waiting in line for food and someone cuts in front of you, don't get mad and start fighting with them. Show hospitality. They might be, be, be someone far from God and just be like, whatever, this event is not for me. It's for people far from God, and I'm here to bless you. This is not a Christian event that you get to go to and hear your favorite artist. It's so people hear the gospel. So sometimes you just gotta introduce, and sometimes you just gotta set up the meeting and you never know what will happen. When I was in Israel, um, you know, a couple weeks ago, we had a guy here at the church, Tas Abusada. Were you guys here for Tasir Abusada, some of you? If you don't know who he was, um, he was, he spoke here and he was um, a sniper in Hamas. He was Yasser Arafat's, he was a sniper and he was his limo driver, actually. He knew him personally. And um, he ended up becoming a Christian and converting to Christianity. And he has this incredible story. And I, he lives in Jericho. And I knew he was going to be in Jericho. And I knew our archaeologist, Moshe, was a retired general of intelligence from the Israeli army. And he was a Christian, too, that had been converted. And he had fought in the Six-Day War. And Toss was a terrorist for Hamas. And he had fought in the Six-Day War. And I thought to myself, I, just, I think it was from the Lord, I thought, I've got to introduce these guys to each other. It's going to be super awkward and terrible or awesome. And either way, it'll be awesome to watch it all go down. 
So the whole last week I was in Israel, I was like, Moshe, we gotta go to Jericho. We gotta meet my friend. He's like, we're not going to Jericho. We don't need to go to Jericho. I don't like going to Jericho. I was like, no, Moshe, we have to go to Jericho. No, we're not. You know, I just, I, but I just pestered him all week long. You know, even though we're paying him to be our guide, he's a general. He's the boss at all times. But I just pestered him over and over. So finally he agreed. And our last day in Israel, he's driving, a, the bus driver's driving us to Jericho and he's just cranky. He does not want to be in Jericho. He does not want to go. He, and he's already cranky to begin with. Okay, he's just a cranky dude, but you, you fall in love with him somehow. But now he's extra cranky, and we're driving to Jericho, and we get into Jericho, and um, we pull into the Seeds of Hope. It's a, there's a restaurant and a gift store, and they're employing Palestinian people, and they have schools that they have for children. It's an incredible organization. So we pull in, and I remember I said, okay, Lord, I'm just going to introduce him and see what happens. This could go terrible. So I just introduced him. I said, uh, Toss, this is my friend Moshe. Moshe, this is my friend Toss. I didn't tell them either about their background, but right away, they, you could see it. There was kind of, it was like two alpha males. Like, <laughs> and I, I, uh, I just kind of like stood back and watched. And the coolest thing happened. Do we have a picture of it? They shook hands, and then Toss just grabbed him and said, you're my brother, and just pulled him in and gave him this huge hug. And then Moshe went, and they hugged it out. It was awesome. A Palestinian, a former member of Hamas, a, an Israeli war hero, hero from the Six-Day War, they fought each other, they shot at each other. All of a sudden, in Christ, they lay down their nationality, they lay down their political agenda, they lay down all of it, and in Christ, they are one new man, the book of Ephesians says. And here's what I want you to understand. I don't care who the president is, I don't care what his foreign policy is, or her foreign policy, or any of it, it'll never bring peace in the Middle East. The only person bringing peace in the Middle East is the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And you just saw it because no one, Jesse Jackson, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, it doesn't matter. None of them are going to make people do that. Only Jesus does that. And sometimes your job is just to introduce people to him and let God do the work. And you'd be shocked what happens. And I don't know what's going to happen to them. But here's what I know. They ended up eating together and talking and, and we'll see what goes on. And then Toss grabbed me afterwards. He goes, he's a military man, isn't he? And I was like, yeah. He's like, I can tell. I go, yeah, you probably tried to kill him once or twice. He's like, I probably did. <laughs> so here's, here's what I want to ask you to do in this series. I want you to come every week, commit to learning John 3.16. We're going to teach you how to share it in creative ways, in natural ways, so it's not weird and awkward. And what I want you to know is, like my dog, Bodhi, maybe God's gonna open the cage in your life and you'll be able to start living your mission out, the reason God put you here. And he's gonna use your story and your unique gifts to change people's lives, to change destinies. You were not made just to work an eight, a 40-hour-a-week job, have 3.5 kids, a jacuzzi, and a Porsche. There's more to your life than that. So I want you to, to, to commit to learning and just asking God, saying, I'm available, God. Here I am. What can I do? And then look for opportunities and step into them by faith. Just step into them. But I won't be in control. I won't know what to do. I know. That's the fun part. God 
Let God, just trust him in those situations and see what happens. So let's bow our heads and let's pray for a minute. I wanna give you a moment with God alone.